0: Welcome to the show where we unearth new ways of looking at ever-evolving life around the world, seen from a number of different industries, cultures, and backgrounds. But there's one thing that unites everyone I speak to. They all want to do their part to make the world better in their own unique ways. It's a uniting passion. Whether they're from the commercial world, third sector, or public sector, from the global north or the global south, my name is Philippa White, and welcome to Tie Unearthed. Hello and welcome to episode 55 of Thai Unearthed. Now it's an election year in Brazil and as many of you will know, it's a big one. Bolsonaro in power, Brazil's democracy on the rocks and a country extremely impacted by COVID where basic human rights are worse than we've ever seen them. So I felt it was fitting to speak with my good friend Ivan Moraes. He's a father, journalist, Dreamer, writer, defender of human rights and city councillor in Recife for the Socialism and Liberty Party, or otherwise known as PSOL. He's currently in his second term in the Municipal Chamber of Recife and he's going to be candidate for the State Deputy in the 2022 elections. When I moved to Brazil in 2005, Ivan was one of the first people I met. Now him speaking English definitely helped, but you're gonna hear on this podcast that we also have lots in common. He's been involved with Thai in several ways over the years, being an advisor and idea generator, to linking us up with human rights organizations that he was involved with for Thai to support, to even being me on Thai when I had to step away from things for a couple of months each time my girls were born. Now today we're gonna be talking about Brazil, politics now, what the country is facing with this election and Yvonne's view of politics and contributing to a better world. This is such an interesting conversation that will really help you understand the reality on the ground in this part of the world just a little bit more and ways to make things better. So grab that favourite beverage or throw on those running shoes and enjoy this conversation with Yvain. It is so amazing to have you here with me, with us today, thank you.
1: Thank you, Uh, I'm very happy to talk to you right now. Uh, We haven't seen each other in such a long time
0: and it's,
1: it's amazing to be part of this project of
0: yours. Thank you, well it's a huge honor to have you and for our listeners Yvonne was one of the first people that I met when I moved here in 2000, and I came here for the first time in 2004, and I'm pretty sure I either met you 2004 or 2005, but I had this, you know, idea of Thai, and this is before Thai even existed, and I had, you know, I was meeting with different people, and Yvonne immediately was like, this is interesting, and since then, you know, we've been involved. You, when I had Bia, when I had Maya, you took me over my role and kind of helped organize things and, and keep things running. And you've been involved with Thai, both from a mentorship point of view of me arriving in Brazil and not speaking a word of Portuguese and you speaking to me in English and being very patient, and uh, all the way through to now having you here. So it's a huge honor to have you with us. I really appreciate it. And I just can't wait to tell our listeners about where you're at now, because it's been an incredible journey from human rights, NGOs, to now government and politics. So perhaps you can start by telling our listeners about you before politics.
1: It's a hard question, because (laughs) uh, what is politics, right? (laughs) We as human beings, we are political beings from the time we start realizing what we are in society I mean, since we're kids and we are competing with our brothers and sisters to to see who gets what and what mom has to buy, and what dad needs to do. It's all politics. And I've been involved in trying to change things since I was a kid. <laughs> I can remember being Ten years old fighting for a tree uh, next to a building where i used to live the tree needed to be cut down because it had termites on it but i didn't care so i i mobilized a bunch of kids from my building and we campaigned uh, against uh, the trimming of the tree we lost but it was probably one of the first times i remember being involved in in a movement to change something later on uh, i did a little bit of uh, student movement when i was 15, 16. It didn't appeal that much to me. Then I went to communication school. I went to college. And in college, uh, being a communication major, I always thought I was studying to be able to write, travel, and change the world. And as soon as I started working as a journalist, I realized it wasn't exactly like that. So a few years later, I kind of quit my career as a journalist and uh, joined the volunteer program to work for a bit in in Mozambique. So I spent two years abroad in the U.S. and in Mozambique. And that's when I came back. And when I came back to Brazil, I knew my career or whatever you call it, or my walk of life would be to do something in order to change things. I knew I needed to, to find a job that would fulfill me, of course, economically. I needed to pay my bills. But I needed to find a job that meant something to me more than just paying my bills. So I joined uh, Centro de Cultura Luiz Freire, which is a 50 year old NGO in Olinda. Uh, It's a historical NGO that uh, works with human rights and I call it my home. Uh, and it was
0: actually beside my home. I used to yeah, live beside it. And I literally, think literally, beside like, your home. Yeah, beside <laughs> my home. Like the wall, <laughs> we shared a wall. And, yes. when we, and I think that's around that time that I met you when you were working there.
1: Exactly. Yeah. That's what I call my home in human rights. And I, I had never been affiliated to a political party back then. I hadn't had any experience uh, working full-time with an NGO other than... the the time I was a volunteer. So it was a school, basically. That's where I learned how democracy works from the point of view of civil society movement. Mm. And I was there for like 15 years in in different uh, working relationships for almost 15 years. That's when 2016 came with the coup that overthrew our president and that hit me hard so was like i've been avoiding political party and political participation institutional political participation for such a long time i was 40 years old already and i had never been affiliated to any political party but i thought hey we're we just voting every two years and they electing these kind of people that are doing exactly what we don't need them to do and it's yes. the same guys that get re-elected year after year, election after election. And then I thought, "Mm, maybe it's time I do something else. And then in 2016, I signed up to PSOL, the the political party that I'm at right now. I ran for elections for city council and I won. So right now I'm on my second term as a city councilor in Recife. Uh, It's my second and last term because uh, I have it as a mission and not to run uh, more than three times for the same job. I think in politics, I think, I don't know if Churchill said that this quote keeps coming with different authors all the time, but in politics, politicians and diapers need to be changed every now (laughs) and then for the very same reasons. Yeah, (laughs) beautiful.
0: Oh, I like that. I haven't actually heard that.
1: Brilliant. I heard it so so many times. I'm not really sure who said it for the first time. Two terms in Brazil means eight years. Four yeah. and then four years of a uh, legislative term. Um, I think it's more than enough for you to, to do a lot of things. Uh, then you can get reelected and you learn more and you can do more. But then you need to move on so that more people can do the same job and the same mission. Yeah.
0: You know, to that point, I mean, we need to fight against Bolsonaro getting in. And I think Lula is the only other option. But that to that point, it's kind of nuts that it's the only other option. <laughs> like, Right? He's already done so many terms and but it's our only option. Yeah, it's exactly like that. Right now
1: it's just nuts. hmm, In Brazil right now, there's no political debate possible. There's no possible political debate right now as long as we have a government that doesn't care about democracy and the republic itself. So it doesn't matter if you are liberal, it doesn't matter if you are conservative, it doesn't matter if you're progressive, if you're communist, if you are whatever you are. If you stand for republican democracy, there's no room for this kind of debate right now, because the central government is occupied by the militia. Before we can start to have any kind of political debate, before it happens, we need to... We need to get out of this insane need situation this in that we're yeah. in, I know. We need I to overthrow Bolsonaro. Right now, I am, as you know, I'm a socialist, I'm a leftist. But I would very comfortably vote for somebody in the right right now if I knew they had the chance to overthrow Bolsonaro as soon as possible. We need to get back to a time where we can actually debate, discuss, disagree. And it's just not possible right now.
0: So obviously your work in politics isn't on the sort of national level, even though, I mean, it all kind of feeds into one another. But I think what would be really helpful for our listeners, just in a few words, if you can just help people, because our our listeners tend to come from the UK and the US and Canada and a few people in brazil but can you help people just understand the social background just to provide a little bit of context to what we're going to be talking about now
1: to kind of explain a little bit of the context from where i talk i'm a white guy from a middle-class family in recife which is in the northeast of brazil brazil a developing country for a long time (laughs) always developing country a country with a lot of wealth as well as my city, my state of Pernambuco. But a country and a city and a state that are marked by inequality, by a a huge social gap where a few people can live very comfortably and a lot of people uh, lack basic, basic rights. Uh, You live in a city where... More than half of our city is not attended by primary health. We live in a city where most of the city is not equipped with sewage. We live in a city where more than 70,000 families don't have a proper place to live. And we also live in a city where some families are very, 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 very rich. So I think uh, inequality and the social gap are one of the primary signatures of Brazil and Recife. And right now, over the last few years, I mean you've been living here for what? 20 years. Yeah. But I'm positive 18, that yeah. you have never seen our people so poor. You have never seen so many people uh, asking for money in the streets, into the super, getting into the supermarkets to take a chance with the people that can actually buy stuff. I mean, the prices are over the top. We have never, in my lifetime, I mean, I was born uh, when the country was moving towards the end of our last dictatorship. And I had never seen my country, and my city, demonstrating so much poorness, so much inequality, so much violence. So we've been living through a difficult time in a difficult place. It was never easy for us here. I mean, inequality has always marked us, but uh, I've never seen it get so so bad as it is right yeah. now.
0: And obviously, I mean, the government has a huge part to play, but COVID was really tough. And, it was. Uh, yeah. And when you just don't have the basic infrastructure and, and human rights and then something like a pandemic happens and it's just, oh my god, what I see on my doorstep in Olinda, um I have never seen it, never seen it like this.
1: It's very symbolic that the current president still claims not to be uh, vaccinated, still, still. <sighs> yeah,
0: I haven't. His,
1: uh, it, his uh, vaccination card, uh, he declared uh secrecy in his, it's not. Public for, you, for us to know if the president has been vaccinated for COVID. But he claims he hasn't. He's, a, he's an interesting There's character, that Bolsonaro. There's yeah,
0: I know. So, Ival, I mean, you, you touched on it actually, and maybe you feel like you've answered it already, but I do just want to make sure that you feel like you have answered it. You know, what got you into politics and why do you think that? is the place that you can make the biggest impact. So obviously having worked in human rights, having worked with NGOs, I saw your impact. And I remember listening to your stories and being somebody who came from advertising and coming to kind of bring these two worlds together and meeting you. I mean, I don't even know who put us in touch, but I mean, it was a present that arrived from... You know, the stars, because it was kind of suddenly meeting this individual who was so passionate and really properly making a difference and putting your life at risk many times. And I remember you just telling me those stories and you're you saying how your parents were a little bit concerned about some of the things that you were doing because you were properly fighting for human rights and and on the front lines. And many of the movements that happened in Hesipi and, you know, you've always been at the front of it and really fighting. And as somebody who sees politics as a really difficult place to be to really properly make impact. And I just wonder. Yeah, I'm curious to know your response to that.
1: It's always funny uh, when people ask. The question comes in different forms, but basically, why did you choose going to politics? And I never feel I had a choice. (laughs) 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 I didn't have a choice, Philippa. I I mean, I chose a long, long time ago that I was going to work with things that made a difference. Like I knew that I, I was unhappy uh, with the way the world moves. I was unhappy with the way uh, the inequalities of the world act on individuals. I've always been very feisty (laughs) against uh, uh, the power, you know, the the structures that keep people apart, that keep people poor, that maintain privileges of a few people at the cost of uh, violence towards a bunch of people. This has been my life for a long time, like since I went to, to Mozambique, and I decided that I wasn't going to do anything in my life other than uh, finding jobs and finding possibilities of making a living, doing things that would make a difference. That would make a difference, and that's why I came. That's why I went to work at Centro de Cultura Luis Freire. That's why I joined the National Movement for Human Rights. That's why I joined uh, a lot of uh, uh, struggles that you've seen uh, when mm-hmm. we met. I, I remember when we met at a seminar held by Interaji in Aldeia. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, it was Yeah, Is that,
0: yeah. okay. Yeah. Yes. Oh, short
1: hair. I, remember.
0: <laughs> I remember
1: exactly <laughs> I did. And I then you talked about that. So I had made this decision 30 years ago, but I hadn't yet realized the importance of participating in the struggle to occupy government. I never realized the importance of everybody uh, finding a way to be part of a political party and work in election processes and eventually uh, taking place in decision making. And I, I refused that for a long time. For a long time, when people talked to me about this option, I discarded it. I didn't even want to talk about it because for me, politics, institutional politics, political, partisan politics was something that, in my point of view back then, 30 years ago, it would be something that could interfere negatively in my work as a social activist. I thought that uh, it, it might represent some sort of conflict of interest. Oh, Ivan is always on the civil society movements. Would it be because on the long run, he wants to be in politics. And this this narrative of somebody that wants to change the world and takes advantage of a public... So this was
0: always a plan, basically. This 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 has always been like
1: a... as, As if it would be a goal to be in politics and to uh, to participate on elections for example but then it took me a long time it took me 40 years of living it took me 20 years working in human rights to realize that it's not like we have an option we live on a theoretical democratic republic and if you buy the social contract or by your own interest you decide that you want to live in a democratic republic, it means that you have a duty towards the republic that you want to build. Mm. And this duty cannot be only voting in every two years. I mean, you need to participate in the real decision making processes. And that's what led me to join a party in 2016 because I thought, hey, in Brazil, we have to vote. I mean, it's It's not only a right, it's also a duty. It's not only voting because the actual decisions, it took me a while to realize that, but the actual decisions regarding elections are taken before we go to the ballots because the parties are deciding who's gonna run, who's not gonna run, who's gonna run with more money to campaign, who's gonna run with less money to campaign. The parties are deciding whether or not they're going to join all the parties in coalitions. And all these decisions are made before the campaign even starts. As Brazilians, when we go to vote, we actually uh, deciding after uh, the parties have already decided. It's like we go to the okay, supermarket yeah. and maybe we want to buy pineapple. But whoever runs the supermarket uh, decided that I would only choose between mangoes and bananas. And I will have to choose mangoes, bananas, or not choose at all. That was a huge hit. It was kind of an epiphany for me. Right? I'm doing a lot of work. I'm putting my body at the stake a lot a lot of times and participating on the social movements, which is completely fundamental for whatever we want to build. I mean, civil society movements and people on the street and people protesting and all this work that I used to do are still very, very, very important for whatever country we want to build. But this won't be built, this won't be made. We won't succeed unless we have a lot of people, not one person, a lot of people eager to participate on the struggles and the disputes and the debates within the political parties, and also willing to participate in the elections, and furthermore, to participate in the uh, institutions, whether being congressman or congresswoman or city councillor or state legislator or mayor, governor, me. If we want things to be better, we need to realize that they won't be better if the logics of the political uh, agenda follows the same paradigm as they've always followed. We won't change the country and we won't change the world if we understand that the same people who have always run government are entitled, magically entitled, God-given right to be the same people in the same parties, coming from the same families. Doing The, in the
0: same, same thing. universities and the same schools and the same vision of how the world works. Totally.
1: Exactly. That's so really, the,
0: that's yeah. That's really. Twenty sixteen really
1: Cool brought on me this urge uh, not to, to change my path. No, I, I I don't see it as a change of path. I don't I don't see it as, as a as a change of career. I am a communicator. In my job, my work is communication. What I have done in the spirit of my life is to decide that I'm going to accept a mission participating on in institutional politics and I believe that everybody should do this a little bit in their lives so that no one should be obliged to do it permanently.
0: Amazing. So that I'm doing certain. my
1: part right now. Yeah,
0: that's a fantastic takeaway. What I'm wondering because in you know this is a window in time in your life that you have dedicated to this mission and also this responsibility that as a citizen everybody should consider and i think that that's a a huge takeaway from this when you reflect on your ngo life probably the ability to make change and impact was a lot quicker i can imagine so you know you see something you fight against it and either it happens or it doesn't. You're a lot more agile, I think, in the third sector. When you're looking at the larger agenda of a party that defends human rights, you know, Peace All is a party that definitely embraces more sort of the human rights movement. How would you articulate the local needs of people and what they need on the ground and the overall party agenda and do you feel like you're able to kind of make that impact quickly or do you feel like you're able to see the results of your efforts
1: the timeline of our needs and desires don't always follow our own agenda that works both in civil society and in institutional politics because there are things there are principles that guide us to a certain horizon so what's our horizon horizon is a a world and a country and a city and a state. Uh, What I'm doing in Recife right now, I I could be doing in any city of the world because we have very similar horizons. Despite the fact that I live in a city and I work in a city with certain characteristics, a lot of the things they are trying to to deal with here are very similar to what people are trying to deal with in in many, 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 many cities around the world. We want uh, to live in a place where the state government uh, has a role to guarantee human rights. So I want to live in a place where people can be attended by healthcare, where schooling is universal, where public media is available to expose also all sorts of different speeches or ideas or creations. I want to live in a place where men, women, and people that don't define themselves as men or women are treated the same with the same respect. I want to live in a place where people are not judged by their sexual orientation or by their gender identification. I want to live in a place where the family you're born into is not uh, decisive on whether or not you can succeed or fail in your professional life. And these are horizons. That me and thousands of people are chasing all around the world. And in civil society, sometimes we can see the steps that we, we take towards this goal more clearly sometimes but sometimes sometimes also not for example in Centro de Cultura Luis Freire uh, we had more immediate results let's say when we struggled for improvement in uh, the health system or the educational system in the quilombola community in Sertão and we could see year by year their own people getting a better education Uh, when a library arrived in the community we saw the library arriving uh, when we worked on a newspaper, we, we saw the process of making the newspaper when, when the newspaper was out, it was a result that we could see grandkid reading to their grandmother, and this was some sort of a result. But our bigger goal of having all quilombola communities with all human rights guaranteed is still on the go. I mean it's not yeah, of course I mean it's, it's not necessarily, necessarily true right now. Yeah. In politics is the same. I mean my goals, my horizons are still the same, but the times And the steps that I can take right now are limited by my job, by being one in 39 city councillors. But at the same time, as this one city council right now, I have much more room uh, to act uh, towards public policy when we're talking about what the city hall needs to do. And then I'll give you an example. We want the city to have a policy uh, that guarantees that people have places and rules that they have to follow so that they can sell their things and, and make a living. Recife was a city that was born mostly because of the commerce that was made here from people that came from Europe or people that would travel around the country. And it was a commercial hub, a very important commercial hub back in two, 300 years ago. And we want everybody that feels the need to sell things uh, to be able to perform this job with some regulation, but with the rights to, to be on the streets. This is... Horizon, but sometimes we have to deal with things like an avenue, a very important avenue in Recife, Avenida Conte da Boa Vista, was being remodeled. And the city hall advertised that one of the great things of this uh, reform was that they would clear the sidewalks from uh, the vendors. And it's a point where 300 people middle living by selling water, cell phone, gadgets, hats, shirts, snacks, food for people snacks, like walking. Kinds of things. And then at that time, uh, we led the struggle with groups of vendors and we opened a debate with the city hall and from 40 people that would stay in the avenue we managed to have 100 so we almost tripled the amount of people that stayed in Conde da Boa Vista in uh, standardized kiosks mm-hmm. that they themselves designed oh wow we, we led a process where the vendors could sit on the same table as the representatives of the city hall. And we included designers from uh, Universidade Católica. And then they said exactly how they wanted uh, the kiosks to be because they, more than anybody else, knew what was important and how a kiosk should be built in a place where they've worked for 20 years. And this was a very important victory that was achieved in a few months. For example, we fight for a new drug policy. We fight for a anti prohibitionist agenda. We think that it's overdue that we think that. Cannabis is a plant and should be treated as a plant. And in the last few years, we saw the movement for people that need medicines made out of this plant grow a lot. And of course, we want, I want, and people that are with me in politics, we want to decriminalize marijuana at all. We think a plant should not be prohibited. But we understand that right now it's it's difficult to move this kind of agenda right now. But a lot of people already understand uh, the importance of the medicines that are made with marijuana. So we managed to to create in one health institution in the city that's public owned, once a week, uh, doctors are there uh, to talk to patients that think they can uh, use a CBD or THC or some other medicine that derives from this plant. And these doctors are prepared uh, to give them the proper documentation so that they can uh, go to a pharmacy or try to find ways uh, to buy the, the, the medicine yes. that they want. I mean, it's one thing in one public-owned equipment that, that is helping a few hundred people, but it's a seed for yeah. a new type of policy that won't make us think that a plant <laughs> is our enemy.
0: Yeah, But still,
1: one little step, towards okay. the horizon. I think the idea is not to, to forget where we want to go. I, when I was elected, Philippa, I, I always wanted to talk about the big themes. I want to talk about drug policy. I want to talk about abortion. I want to talk about media regulations. I want to talk about things that are not decided where I am right now. <laughs> and that's another obstacle. The people that elected me as a city council, a lot of people also need help uh, fulfilling basic needs uh, such as trash pick up or the, the lights illumination of the city or the bus system so we need to be prepared to understand the horizon we want to to achieve but also we need to understand that the people here in my city they're so excluded from basic 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 needs that we also need to to dedicate a lot of time uh, making the the voice of these people that want better streets better illumination better bus systems Uh, so we we need to find a way to talk about the big things but not to forget that the average citizen has problems every day and we need to find a way not to address them individually because we, we can't but to address these issues that interfere more with people's daily lives and that's basically what people need people want uh, from a city councillor, which is the politician uh, that is closer to the population.
0: Polarization is something that I think is on everyone's minds, particularly now when we're about to get into election season. But I think there's something very interesting about local politics that perhaps... Uh, doesn't maybe see this as much. And I'm just, I'm just curious to know, you know, people aren't necessarily driven by ideology as much as actual need in local politics, from what I understand, especially in smaller towns. And the party of the mayor, for example, almost doesn't matter. It's almost the person and their history and and how they're living, and and I'm just wondering how much you think people's needs and the current living situation, you know, even the pandemic, for example, will affect these national elections.
1: Polarization is kind of like a fashion word right now. It brings me mixed feelings because I thought in Brazil, since uh, our last military dictatorship uh, ended in 1986, at the end of the 80s, we've always had uh, strong parties. Uh, bringing up a leftist agenda and other parties bringing a right-wing agenda. Uh, We've had polarization between PT, Workers' Party, and PSDB for a long time and many consecutive times. Uh, We had uh, Lula against uh, Fernando Henrique, Lula against José Serra, against Geraldo Alckmin, who's now with Lula. We had Lula against Dilma against Tyson Eves. And these were all elections where uh, we polarized. We had people bringing up a more, say, welfare agenda and people bringing a more uh, liberal agenda as neoliberalism from the program of PSDB for a long time. It has never been small differences in Brazil. General elections were always always led by some sort of polarization what we have now is different we have a small group of people that have as a form of political debate uh, to use violence it's kind of like violence now is being legitimized for a small group of people as a form of political debate and this is new to the last 40 years in brazil this was the way politics worked in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, I mean, during that, the dictatorship? That's exactly what's happening right now. But we don't have a formal dictatorship, but we have a federal government, we have a national government that gives messages day after day legitimizing violence, boosting the uh, gun market, and it's different. It's It has never been like that in Brazil. And one of the biggest symbols of that is that Geraldo Alckmin, who's not a leftist who was a governor of São Paulo who belonged for a long time to PSDB, which was the biggest right-wing party for the last 20 years, he joined Lula and they're both against Bolsonaro. So. As I say, people that agree with a leftist agenda should vote for Lula. And people who agree with, with a right-wing agenda should vote for Alckmin. And they are both <laughs> in the same ballot because it's it's the living proof that we're not struggling, we're not debating uh, whether or not uh, our government is more to the right or more to the left or more socialist yeah. or more liberal. We're debating whether or not we would have a republic government in Brazil. We're not debating ideas yeah. about politics. We're debating whether or not we are able to debate. We are able to, to have some sort of democracy in Brazil.
0: You know, that
1: affects the... people's lives. That affects yeah. people's lives. Yeah, In the way that people are much poorer now than they were before. In the way that jobs are, are scarce right now because they reformed our working laws And they made it really easy for people uh, to fire people. And they made it really easy for people to hire people without the rights that we've always had in Brazil. So it's affecting people day by day. It's affecting people that have no idea that politics could influence their lives that much. People are seeing their lives being worse. I know, I just... Not everybody realizes that politics was the cause. So
0: that's the thing. I mean, obviously, this is a conversation that we need... You need to come over and we need to have a glass of wine and we can talk for a really long time and obviously... You know we're coming to the end of the podcast but it's so concerning because you just hope that many people do contribute that to the government to the national government the poorer people in the communities the access to that information to to, to see that call like the cause
1: human rights activists we say over and over the human rights are universal should be universal because they should be guaranteed to everybody they are indivisible and they are interdependent as a communicator as a journalist, i will always say That the lack of communication and the lack of the basic rights to communicate and to be able to receive information is on the source of the tragedy that we live right now. We have had wave after wave of disinformation, of people being manipulated by wrongfully done. uh, media and bad reporting, of course, lawfare. I mean, it's not only one thing, but uh, it's in the genesis. I mean, the lack of communication, the lack of the minimum diversity in information that we receive is on the very source of the tragedy we live
0: in. Yeah, and we are coming to the end of this podcast, but I just there are a couple other questions that I do just want to ask you. You know, what is the hardest part of your job? And how does your job impact your daily life?
1: Hugely. Uh, right now, if I want to go to the movies with my wife, I, I have to schedule it. <laughs> <laughs> I I, don't, I no longer own my own agenda. I no longer own my own days, my own nights, my weekends. It's a mission. It's a... I, I don't like to say sacrifice. It's, it's not that it's, it shouldn't be a sacrifice, but it's a mission. It's and it takes a long time. I mean, the biggest impact is the amount of time that I don't have anymore for me, myself, for my family, for my friends, but also the, the amount of exposition that I have. When people criticize, I mean, it's okay, but people cursing at me sometimes on social media. I mean, this is, this is bad, this, yeah. but it's not that much, I mean, I, I must say, honestly then I don't get much hate.
0: Yeah, just for our listeners, Ivan's a very popular politician. You are. I mean, a lot of people have, you're very, well, you're very charismatic. Your beliefs, I mean, they're really in line with a lot of the values that many people are wanting the world to go in that direction. So you're you're not carrying something that's hugely polemic.
1: Yes. And I also try to debate in a high level of tenderness. (laughs) I am very radical in some of my ideas, but I'm very flexible on the debate because I realize we are different people. We come from different places and we have to be generous when we talk to somebody that on the first moment disagrees with you. So I try to exercise this method. The hardest part is that I have to deal every day with problems that I can't solve to deal with problems one, that happen and you can't fix at all. It's impossible to
0: fix. One thing that I, just as an outsider looking in, the last time that we got together, and this was, I think it was at the beginning of the pandemic, and I met with you to just brainstorm different Ways of being able to help in his and And we went for lunch and it didn't stop. Like we sat at a table and, you know, okay, you were in theory working because it was a working day and it was sort of during working hours. But I can imagine that was not limited to just us going for lunch. I imagine when you talk about having to book the time to go to the cinema with your wife I'm pretty sure that this would happen there too it's just constantly having people come up and talk I mean one you're a known character but I think it's not just that it's in this role there's always somebody wanting to say something or wanting to know something or wanting to pitch something or wanting to and you just and you in the role that you're in you have to be on and you have to treat people with respect and be you know I just think it must be so
1: hard a lot of times I like it I had it as a, uh, a principle not to change my habits. So I still go to the parties, I still try to go to the movies when I have the time, I still go to the beach. I'm very available. I mean, my body is always in public places. Yeah. I'm not hidden any time. So I, I try to be the same person. I still take the bus, I still ride my bike. And a lot of times I do like when people come up and say, hey, Ivan, is, I like a job. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice because you get recognized for something that you're doing. Yeah. Sometimes it's harder because sometimes people want to take advantage of the opportunity to talk to you because you are in a public place anyway. And uh, to yeah. have a meeting. And, yeah. and it's hard because you know it's better when you schedule a meeting so that I'm prepared to receive your pitch or, or your demand and yeah. I'll be prepared to give back to you.
0: What keeps you up at night and what gives you hope?
1: What keeps me up at night? when I have to make a decision that's not so easy. Because a lot of decisions that I make every day are really easy for me because I base myself on principles. But sometimes it's not so much black and white when there's a decision that is a tough decision that regards whether uh, or not I will vote for a lot that I don't love, but it can't be important. The gray area keeps me out at night. And what gives me hope is when I see people organizing because the six years working as a city councilor, I realized that there's nothing that the people cannot do if they are organized. Every time you have a lot of people mobilized and organized for a cause, they will move forward. And when I see it happens, it it does give me hope. It does. It touches me.
0: Ivan, we have come to the end, but I just wonder, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like to tell our listeners?
1: I loved our conversation. One thing that you haven't asked, but I should have said, is the importance of us talking about politics more. I know... A lot of people don't want to talk about politics. Uh, I know a lot of people, especially in Brazil, especially the youth, uh, they don't see politics as something that they can assess or they should assess. But uh, I make a point of talking about politics with a lot of people. I try to reach uh, the ordinary citizen. Every Friday, I hop into three, four buses, and I will talk on the bus about what I did on that week. I'll be like, hey, I'm Ivan, I'm a city councillor. I work for you. And as your employee, I'm here on the bus talking to you about what I did with the salary that you pay me. And then I go on and on. On Monday, I did this and this and that. On Tuesday, this this." Because I think it's important for people to realize what are we doing, actually, other than just go vote for me every two years. So let's talk about politics. Let's understand that politics is not an option. Since the moment we are born, a lot of things that occur and interfere in our lives are decided in the political arena. And to ignore it or to make believe it doesn't happen and you will live without necessarily thinking about it, it doesn't help because it will affect you anyway, whether you participate or not. So you better participate. I actually chose two quotes. One uh, is by Chico Sainz,
0: Yeah.
1: When in the 90s, he said... Um passo a frente e você não está mais no mesmo lugar. One step forward and you're not uh, standing still.
0: You're not in the same it, place it, as you it were gives
1: before. Us, It gives us the idea of a call to action. And then 20 years later, Siba took another step and said, Toda vez que eu dou um passo, o mundo sai do lugar. Oh, the world moves every time I take a step. <laughs> not only yeah. I'm on a different place. But the whole world will move yeah. once you start also uh, uh, taking your steps. So you I just don't...
0: left me with goosebumps. <laughs> what a beautiful <laughs>
1: way to end this. Thank you. Thank you. I love it. Beijo. Beijo.
0: Hey, everyone, this is Philippa again. I hope you enjoyed listening. Now, this is your chance to get involved with Thai. If you work in the commercial world, whatever your profession, your position, or your experience, then Ty could be for you. You may have been in business for decades but have always felt there's another way. Or you may just have a few years experience but want to do more. Equally, if you want to create game-changing employees and see your company impact the world, we've got you covered. Ty has never been more necessary than right now and you can be a part of it. Reach out to me at philippa at UK and I can tell you more. Or join the Thai Accelerator info session for more information. Apply.tieaccelerator.com. Better leaders, better companies, better world. I'm your host, Philippa White. This podcast has been co-produced by Berna Vieira and me, music by Berna Vieira, and artwork by Kelps Vahais. I hope we'll meet again soon.